0: Anderson, they're the ones who who brought up the situation in Honduras, Uh, uh, their mom's been doing a lot of work, Uh, Anelda and John Michael's mom's been doing a lot of work uh, with um, families there and has contacts that can get the the clothes there, and so we said uh, we would love to support that, and uh, so I just spoke for you, I hope that's okay, Uh, um, That we'd love to do that. So if you've got some some, uh, um, gently used, clean clothes that you're willing to donate, That'd be fantastic. And if you want to give financially, again, Samaritan's Purse is a great way to do that. We're going to um, uh, continue uh, to worship the Lord as we take a look at the, the word of the Lord this morning and uh, uh, talk about how everybody loves a winter. 1967, William Bell uh, released his hit song, Everybody Loves a Winter. Uh, it was big at the time. Later was famously recorded by Linda Ronstadt. Eventually, um, uh, most recently probably by Rita Coolidge. It starts out this way. Once I had fame, oh, I was full of pride, had lots of friends, always here right by my side. Well, my fame, oh, it died. Now my friends all try to hide. Everybody loves a winner. Everybody loves a winner. But when you lose, you lose alone. Everywhere I turned, there was a hello and a smile. I never thought they'd be gone after a while. Well, my friends let me down, and the smiles turned to frowns. Everybody loves a winner. Everybody loves a winner, but when you lose, you lose alone. Put very simply, this world loves and celebrates winners. The rich and the beautiful and the powerful, the strong, the famous, multiple studies have actually shown that the average person generally assumes that taller, attractive people are more intelligent and more competent than their shorter, less attractive peers. A 2014 study, infamous in its findings, revealed that in schools of all places, better-looking children receive better treatment and better grades from their teachers than their less attractive peers. If you're sitting there thinking that's horrible, if you're sitting there thinking that's not fair, you are absolutely right. But let me ask you, has anybody ever done that to you? Or more seriously, have you ever done that to anybody else? Looked at someone and made a judgment about them based on something in their appearance, their clothing, their, their, their where they come from, where they work. Have you ever done that to anybody? Human history, throughout human history, people have always had the powerful, sinful tendency to treat the people around them differently, to value the people around them differently based on superficial, external characteristics, like how they look or where they live or what kind of job they have. It is a serious problem, yet it happens all the time, which might be why the Bible talks about it so much. Everybody loves a winner. Whether you define that by looks or job or bank account, by the size of their house or the size of their social media following, everybody loves a winner. But like the song makes clear, very few people seem to care about the great massive rest of us. Last week I shared with you briefly from Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats from the end of Matthew chapter 25. I shared about the essence of who Jesus is, the glorious holy coming King, God in human flesh and blood, yet not defined by that flesh and blood, not defined and not valued by outward things like the color of His skin or the beauty of His face. In fact, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus, and part of what he said was this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Don't you find it interesting? We have four entire gospels in the New Testament, and not one of them spends even a single sentence describing the physical appearance of Jesus. We live in a world that tends to define and value everything in terms of outward, physical, material traits. But my point is simply that such external, surface judgments are sinful. Judgments based on race or sex or economic status, judgments based on age or looks or nationality are all inherently sinful wildly contrary to the gospel. That Billy Graham had light skin, has no bearing whatsoever on whether or not the gospel he preached was true. That Jesus Christ was a brown-skinned Jew from Nazareth has no bearing whatsoever on whether or not he was and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The legitimacy of a person's message is unrelated to his wealth, and the value of a human being is unrelated to her job, or her age, or her heritage, or her education. A few weeks back, our gospel lesson came from the first part of Matthew chapter 5, and that's where I want us to look this morning. So I'm going to ask you as you're able, would you stand with me please in honor of the Word of God? And we're going to read together Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you're with me in person here in the Center for New Life, I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions. And if you're worshiping with us over our YouTube channel or one of our other venues, just read the passage as it pops up on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Whoops. Whoops. Let's see here. Yeah. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to Him, and He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now for an awful lot of Christians, this is a very well-known passage, it comes from a message Jesus delivered uh, that's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus actually spoke these words from uh, the top part or the side of a mountain. The part we just read is the beginning of that sermon, often referred to as the Beatitudes, because each statement Jesus makes begins with a a, a proclamation of blessing. Blessed are the uh, poor in spirit, blessed are the pure in heart, and so forth, and so on. But while this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, the truth is it's also frequently misunderstood. Because contrary to common thinking, in these statements, Jesus is not telling you what He's looking for. Jesus is not calling you in the Beatitudes to a certain way of life, at least not primarily. Listen, the Beatitudes are not a list of things Jesus wants you to try to be. Now, of course, it's definitely a good thing for you to strive to be merciful, like it uh, talks about in verse 7, or to strive to uh, be pure in heart, like it talks about in verse 8. But do you really think Jesus is calling you here to leave here this morning and strive to mourn, like it says in verse 4? Or to go out of here and strive to work hard to be persecuted, like it talks about in verse 10. Or even worse, in Luke chapter 6, uh, in this occasion, Jesus is actually coming down from a mountain to a level place. Sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Plain. But Jesus shares very similar thoughts in Luke chapter 6. And there he says, blessed are the poor, period. Not the poor in spirit, but the poor end of story. He says, blessed are you who hunger now. Not who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but who hunger apparently for food. Is Jesus saying he wants you to go out and strive to become poor? Does Jesus want you to leave here today and work very hard to become hungry? Absolutely not. The Lord loves you. He delights in providing for and caring for his children. Jesus is not saying here, that he wants you to go out and try to be these things. Listen carefully. What Jesus is saying is, if you already are these things, in other words, if you are, if you are not what the world would call a winner, praise the Lord, God has not forgotten you. And if you will press in and hold on to Jesus, if you will press in and follow the Lord, he will not forsake you either. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you are in a time of mourning, praise the Lord, God's right there with you. If you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, praise the Lord, God's right there with you. If you are meek, or when you are merciful, even though you might get pushed around a little bit, even though you may get taken advantage of on occasion, Maybe your kindness is being abused. Maybe someone's breaking the rules and cutting the line and pushing their way in front of you when it's your turn. Even if you're not one of the big, powerful guys that can whack them on the head and knock them out of the way, praise the Lord, God has not abandoned you. He sees every bit of it. He sees every hurt. He sees every injustice. And He promises in the end to make it all come out right for you if you will trust in and follow Him. Listen, the kingdom of God is available to you even if the country club is not. God loves and cares for you even if the cool kids do not. If you will trust in the Lord and love and honor and follow the Lord, one day you will inherit as a gift from Him, all those things you did not get now by pushing and shoving and fighting for them, all of those things you were not able to win in your own power, God will one day freely give you if you will trust in Him. Did you notice in the passage how the meek inherit the earth? In other words, they don't have to go to war and conquer it. God simply gives it to them as a gift in the proper time. Now, i got to tell you, in Jesus' day and time, this message was shocking. It was earth-shakingly revolutionary, and today it remains wildly countercultural almost everywhere in the world because the world loves and celebrates winners the rich, and the powerful among us. But Jesus is saying right here, even if you're not one of those, you still matter to God. You're just as significant to God. Jesus is saying in this passage, there is a place for everyone if they will simply trust in and follow God. Because God cares about everyone equally. He doesn't only care about the really talented or the really wealthy or the really strong or the really famous. Jesus was presenting in these Beatitudes a radical new approach to life, an approach to life centered and focused on God, an approach to life in which human significance and human value are assigned by God, not by winning. An approach to life in which people matter not because of what they have to offer, but because they bear the image of God and because they are loved by God. Now let me just take a second and clear up a major point of confusion for a lot of people right here. Because an awful lot of folks have read these words of Jesus and come to the theologically erroneous conclusion that God loves poor people more than he loves wealthy people. That God prefers weak people to strong people. But that is not the point Jesus is making here. It's not that God likes the poor and dislikes the wealthy. It's that God looks at everybody the same. Think about it. Compared to God, The richest person you can possibly imagine compared to God is a poor person. Compared to God, tall people and short people compared to God are all really, really short people. Every single high school dropout in the world and every Harvard graduate in the world compared to God is just dumb people. Don't take this text and develop an unbiblical esteem for the poor or the weak. Rather, take this text and fix your eyes on God and on the goodness of God. Stop focusing on the stature of men and fix your eyes on the only one who actually deserves your admiration. There's a time in the Old Testament where God decides He's going to appoint a new king in Israel. And he commissions the prophet Samuel to find him and anoint him. And Samuel does what almost everyone else in the world does. He focuses on the outward visible traits. God told Samuel he had chosen a new king from one of the sons of a man named Jesse. And when those sons come and begin to appear before Samuel, Samuel is immediately taken, immediately drawn to Eliab, the oldest and the tallest and the strongest among them. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, God does not privilege the wealthy and He doesn't particularly privilege the poor. God is no more swayed by a beautiful face than He is by a plain or homely one. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People may be very impressed with money, But the Bible says rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Over and over and over again, however, in the Bible it is stressed to us that the Lord cares about the poor and the needy. The Lord cares about the stranger and the outcast. The Lord cares about the weak and the lowly. Not, however, because he loves them more, but because people, often like you and me, frequently tend to love them less. Too often, people, like you and me, just seem to forget about the poor and the needy. It's so easy to simply push them aside. Too often, people look at the poor and the needy, and they mistreat and abuse them. But here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is making it perfectly clear God does not behave like that. And neither should you or I. So when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or in Luke's gospel, Blessed are the straight up poor. Jesus is saying, No matter what you think you're lacking right now, God has not forgotten you. And if you will trust Him. He will come through for you. The poor and the needy can count on God, and they should be able to count on you and me. Last week, I made it very clear, your good works cannot save you, but your good works matter in a big, big way. As the people of God, as the followers of Jesus, we've been called and commissioned to make a difference in the world. To go out in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. To love God and love people. To bring food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty. To visit the sick and the lonely. To bring clothes to the needy. And help and hope to anyone who will take it. And so I want to close this morning by urging all of us to up our game as the people of God. To pray and to look and to look and to pray for opportunities to do good, especially to those who need it most. Not because God loves them better, but because they need it most. Everywhere I turn today, I keep finding people accusing Bible-believing Christians of not caring enough about the poor and the needy and the disadvantaged. Some of those accusations are unfair, unfounded, or biblically questionable. Many of them, however, deserve our attention. And so I urge you when you leave this building this morning to leave here with a fresh commitment to care for the poor and needy. Some of us need to go home today and gather clothes to send to Honduras. Some of us need to consider the possibility of becoming a regular sponsor of what Nadine Migley is doing in Uganda, what Paul Baker is doing in Cambodia, what Ashley Pell is doing in the Philippines. Some of you need to prayerfully consider and look for places and opportunities to volunteer. Some of you have, have retired or you have free time and opportunity. You need to look for places and opportunities to share your time, to share your energy, to share your wisdom. Consider volunteering maybe Operation Christmas Child or the local pregnancy resource center. Maybe become a big brother or a big sister. A couple of months ago, uh, someone in our fellowship was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and and, and a group where's where's Andrea Redmond? Where's Andrea Wave. Andrea took it on herself and just gathered an army of people and said, "We're not going to let Carol, we're, we're not going to let her be alone." And, and Carolyn Young and and Andre Redmond and Valerie York and and, and Bella Miller and, and and Norman and Karen Manley and and Carrie Reynolds and a whole bunch of other people have just been going there consistently for months, making sure her food's taken care, making sure her medicine's set up, making sure she's visited and cared for. Visiting the lonely. Some of you can do that. It's COVID season. I got that. Maybe you do it through the window. I don't know, but may we leave here this morning with a refreshed commitment to care for the poor and the needy, because that's what our God does. And he's called us and made us to be like him. May we go and do it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. and As always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Your word that shows us who you are, your word that shows us who we're supposed to be. And Father, we pray that you would take your word and settle it down in our hearts. Let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. Continue to change us and make us more and more the people you've called us and created us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah and amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue to worship uh, the Lord this morning. We're going to worship as we sow oh, our...